All right, pop quiz for you this morning to kind of wake up a little bit. Who can tell me uh, anything we've talked about so far? Just fire your hand out, okay? I don't have any candy, sorry. I should uh, bring some along sometime to throw out if you get any. Chan, you can remember that for next week if you want to steal that, bring some candy. All right, what have we covered so far? Any, any topic at all? Yes. Yes, they double our joys, have our sorrows. One of the benefits we have of friendship, good. Okay, the, the real question I want to ask is, does anybody remember the six C's over the last two weeks? They've been great. Chance study through what does it look like to cultivate friendship, to be a biblical friend. Anybody remember six of them, all starting with C? Whatever. Counsel. Committed. No. Not committed, but that's a good word. <laughs> we like it. <laughs> Counsel. Which, I don't know which one that is. We'll go with counsel, okay? <laughs> Anybody else? All right, guys, we got to stand up, do some jumping jacks. We got this. All right, so we have, let me list them off. Close, remember that? Close friendships are close. They're careful. They're candid. They're constant. There's counsel, and they're Christ-centered. Now, as we're just like pulling in all of this, we've talked about from the very beginning, what is biblical friendship? We've seen how it's teased out through scripture. We've started thinking about how it applies to us. We've thought about the benefits of friendship. We've thought about even the threats to friendship. We won't review those. I won't try that this morning. But we think about the threats of friendship, low view, too high of a view, or self-focused view of friendship. Then these six C's that come along. And sometimes we can leave this thinking in our minds, Man, I'm a terrible friend. I mean, I've just been listening in and thinking about this, evaluating myself a bit. And I can almost, if I leave my, let myself go there, I can get discouraged thinking about how there is this call to friendship that really is grander than what I can do myself. Maybe some of you are even thinking about it this way. You're thinking, man, I really don't have good friends Maybe you've done some self-assessment of the friends that you have and you thought, wow, I've kind of surrounded myself with people who maybe aren't the best of friends. They aren't these kinds of friends. Maybe you just found that you're just lacking in real friendship as a whole. You've been hearing all this thinking, that's what my heart yearns for. Like I want that kind of friendship. And you're just struggling through that. I think this morning, as we reflect on all of that, we could say, even in light of what we heard this morning, or if you're coming halfway through here, um, what you'll hear in a few minutes, we could just say, well, just try harder, do a little better, and maybe you'll get there. But what I want to do this morning is I want to show you somebody else who really will help us as we think about pursuing biblical friendship, the greatest friend who is Jesus. Jonathan Edwards writes so well. He said, whatsoever there is or can be that is desirable to be in a friend is in Christ. And that to the highest degree that can be desired. That is a meaty sentence you could spend weeks just teasing out and thinking about. And I feel overwhelmed this morning because I'm just touching on a few facets. But there is so much we could think about in light of Christ being our greatest friend and how that should change us. So this morning we're asking a simple question. What kind of friend is Jesus? 
I'm going to walk through four things, and progressively, they'll get shorter as we go, okay? But four things that are a pull from Scripture, where Jesus speaks of being friends with people or how he friends us. And I hope this morning they will just minister to your heart as they have my own. And again, these, I feel like we're just kind of just getting into the, the top layer of the surface, and you can spend time this week digging deeper into every one of these. First of all, we see that he is a friend of sinners like us. Now think about it, in our study so far, we, we know we have shared experiences that draw us to certain kinds of people. Maybe you all like puppies, so you just kind of are drawn to people who like puppies. Or maybe you like skydiving. Anybody skydiving in here? Hey, all right, so maybe you're drawn to people who like skydiving or particular kinds of ice cream, like I really like chocolate peanut butter ice cream. You're drawn to different things, good coffee, good books, uh, different hobbies or activities. There are things that you're drawn to people because they like the same kind of things you like. Have you ever asked yourself, what kind of people is Jesus drawn to? What kind of people does Jesus pursue? Let's turn to Matthew 11. And I need someone to read Matthew 11, 18 through 19 this morning. So Matthew 11, we're going to look at about three or four different passages this morning that kind of walk us through. But who would read Matthew 11, 18 through 19? Thanks. Okay, so Jesus is addressing the, his opponents and how they're talking about him and John the Baptist. There's a lot more context we can't get into this morning. But what we do see, and this is fascinating, throughout the Gospels, Jesus' opponents are the ones who reveal his identity the most. And so right now they're pointing to an identity factor, that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is the one who pursues friendship with the social outcasts, the tax collectors who would have been defrauding their brothers, who would have been defiled because they would be spending time with Gentiles. These tax collectors were people, a normal, maybe good Jew would leave and not be around. But here's Jesus and he's pursuing them. He spent enough time with these kinds of people that his opponents are saying, yeah, he's a friend of those people. He's a friend of those. And while they meant it as an insult to us, it's incredibly comforting to know that Jesus is that kind of person. There's probably no better book, really, that would capture this than Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. It just pulls this out. And I just encourage you, if you haven't read it, to read it, because it just will show you how Jesus yearns for those of us who are sinners and broken. But I want to read a quote he, he makes right after this passage is mentioned in one of his chapters. He says this, in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as is the declaration of his justification of us objectively. Think about that. Jesus' affection toward us does not waver. I mean, this is really good news. 
Thank you. It is very good news. J.C. Ryle actually makes this comment. I love this. He says that we are the worst creatures ever created. Have you ever thought about that? We're the worst creatures ever created on the earth right now because we're sinners who have rejected God. That means we're worse than dogs and cats. And cats are evil, okay? We know that. But yet we're, here we are, we are worse than all of them because we're the ones who have rejected, by the way, I actually love cats, so I'm just going to let that out there, okay? All right, so, but we have rejected God himself. And so J.C. Ryle's like, listen, we're the worst. And who has Jesus befriended? He's befriended us. It's not like you and I were able to fake him out. I mean, just think about this. You have your friends and you put on this persona, good smile, you're a great person, they love you until they find out who you really are. And then when they find out who you really are, what do they do? They're like, oh, I don't want to be with you. The persona just kind of fades away. That's not what happens with Jesus. We didn't fake him out. None of you faked him out with your goodness. Jesus knew all along from the very beginning how sinful you and I are. He knew from the very beginning all of those sinful thoughts that have gone through your heart this week. He knew all the ways you would abuse and reject people. He knew the way that you would love everything but him. Jesus knew all of that from the beginning. And then we find he still loves us. Like in that moment, he knows all and yet he still came for you and for me. Now, how many of your friends, just thinking in your mind today, how many of your friends really know all there is to know about you? How many of your friends know the deepest and darkest parts of your heart? And then ask yourself, why don't they? I think most of us would say, we don't have many friends who know the depths of our heart. But why don't they know that? I think one of our deepest fears can be that our friends would find out who we really are and then they would reject us. When they find out who we really are, like, oh, oh, you think that way? Oh, God, I don't want to be around you. Like, isn't that your fear? Isn't that why you hold back and you keep people at a distance? Yet here we're, we're confronted this morning with incredible news that Jesus loves you. And his love for you does not waver for one second. Like that light bulb in your kitchen that flickers, it's not like Jesus' love flickers when he sees your sin, like, ooh, okay, no, I still love you. No, Jesus' love continues on constantly, never wavering, never flickering in light of your sin. His love for you is constant. He is a friend of sinners. And that is really good news. With Jesus, we have a friend that will never reject us, never despise us, never turn a cold shoulder, shoulder never cease to love us. He loves you, and yet he knows you completely. He knows everything about you, and he loves you unceasingly. And that is good news. What this means, then, is that we can stand in a place of security because the only person whose acceptance really matters has accepted you. And that gives us a new standing as we think about the friends God has given to us in our life. When we realize that we are fully accepted by the Father because of our turning to Christ, that changes everything about our friendships with others. So this morning, a question maybe you need to ask yourself. Is Jesus actually your friend? I don't want to assume that all of us have actually turned to Christ in faith, but you won't be his friend until you do, until you accept the love that he's shown you on the cross. 
until you've trusted him, confess that you're a sinner broken in need, and then turn to his finished work. So have you trusted in Christ? Have you turned to him? And if you have this morning, then we have the greatest news. He is our friend. Friend, knowing all of us deeply, fully. Here's another question we could ask ourselves this morning. Has Jesus' friendship with you liberated how you relate to your friends? Has it liberated you as you relate to your friends next to you? Think of this. We're so afraid that our friends will know our struggles, right? We've just talked about that. We're afraid they're going to find out something and then reject us. But think about what it means then to know that Jesus has accepted us for who we are, knowing for all time that we are sinners and broken. Yeah, he still came. He still called you friends. How that liberates us then now as we think about the friends around us. We're no longer concerned about how they'll respond to us when we reveal a part of our heart they don't know about. We're not afraid of what they're going to say because we know ultimately our security and our identity are set in Christ. And so that liberates you and I to be able to come to others and say, listen, I'm struggling today. And your friend, they might be struggling with the same thing. But you're not afraid of what they're going to say because you know your identity is secure in Christ. So Jesus being a friend of sinners liberates us to, to be able to share the depths of our hearts with others no longer afraid of how they'll perceive us or think about us because we know that Jesus loves us totally and completely. I think there's more here you can tease out later this afternoon. I was thinking about this sermon this morning. The reality that this thing calls us to love our friends when they sin against us. The call for us then to love our enemies. I mean, there's so many things you could just tease out this afternoon as you think about Jesus being a friend of sinners and then how that changes your relationship with him but then changes the relationship with the people right next to you. Jesus was willing to befriend sinners but could it be possible that Jesus just befriended sinners because they flocked to him? Like he was kind of forced into it like, oh no, I wanted to be with those guys but these are the ones that hung out. Have you ever had that happen before? You're like in a conversation, you're like, you don't actually want to be with them. You want to be over there but you're like, all right, I'll love you, I guess. Is that what's happening here with Jesus? Is he just loving them because they're next to him? Definitely not. He is a friend that pursues us. This is the second thing we see here. He's a friend that pursues us. All right, let's go to John 15. John 15 is our next text here. We want to look into this one because this is so paramount as we think about Jesus calling us friends and it shows and demonstrates the degree to which he's pursued us. Who can read John chapter 15, verse 12? John 15, verse 12. Awesome, thank you. Okay, we're going to work through this text verse by, by verse because I need to pull out specific things here. But first notice this. He is the one who loved us first. He's calling his disciples to love one another as I have, past tense, loved you. And we know from other texts in scripture, he's the one who's loved us first. He pursued us first. I mean, this pursuing has been happening since the very beginning when we talked in the first week about how we were created for relationship that was broken when Adam and Eve took of the fruit. And since the very beginning, he's been pursuing us, and here the consummation comes. Jesus comes, and he has loved you and me. Now think about this. What would be the greatest expression of love a friend could show someone else? 
Think about what, like think about the most sacrificial thing you've done for your friends. <laughs> that's, the, that's the key point. Lay your life down, but think about how we, we don't even always think in those terms. We think, oh man, I gave up a whole weekend for them. I helped them clean their home or I fixed this for them and I did this for them. I washed their kids or I changed their kids' diapers. I mean, that would be high, right? Okay, those kinds of things we think, that's sacrificial, but you're right. The greatest comes next. Verse 13, who would read verse 13? Do you see that? Greater love has no one than this. As someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus' pursuit of us to be his friends required the greatest sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice that could be offered his own and full life. Jesus offered himself freely. He offered himself fully to us. Think about this. He didn't like restrain his love. Like I'm gonna just give you a little bit. He wasn't coerced. Like okay, I guess I'll love them, God. Jesus did it willingly and fully for you. He went to the furthest extent. And then think about how these words and this text really hit our hearts today. We know what happens next. The disciples didn't. Jesus is making, in one sense, a promise to them. I mean, how many of you have had friends who have broken promises? I'll call you later. Hey, let's meet up. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with a house project. All good intentions, no problems there, but we make promises. They don't always happen. Jesus makes a promise and he keeps it. He gives you his life. The good news is that he doesn't love us because we did the right things. If you look further in the text, I'll read this one. You are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. And the point there is not, if you do all the right things, then I'll love you and I'll be your friend. Because we don't want to forget what's happening in 12 and 13. Jesus has first loved us He's the one who's called us friends. He's laying his life down for us. And so we know that we're not called to do all the right things to be pursued by him. Because remember point one, he is a friend of who? Sinners. We're never gonna merit all those things, but we do know this, that our response to his love, back in verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. This is the commandment. Like there is a response and that overflows around us as we think about Jesus' work on our behalf, then we want to respond in the same way. Don't look down to verse 15. Jesus has befriended us by laying his life down for us, but then verse 15 gives us more depth to this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. There is a change in relationship because Jesus has called you his friends. You're no longer the servant who's unaware of what's happening. Now you're called his friend. And we read here in scripture, especially John 13 through 17, he's revealing all that his father has revealed to him. And he's letting us into his life. He's letting us be his friend. We're not just off to the side hoping we'll find out. No, Jesus, he lets us all the way in. So Jesus has pursued us. He first loved us. He loved us to the furthest extent by laying his life down on our behalf. He was the one who led us all the way in, not because of what we did, but because he decided to show his love toward you and me. There is no friend like Jesus. Jesus will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never forget to do those things we long for. Jesus will always be there because he continues to pursue you today.
as we think about this. We need to tease out, though, how this relates to others around us. And I, I want to read a quote for you from Francis Schaeffer, and I think this hits on the heart of where our, our hearts can go wrong. Listen to these words. We are finite, and therefore we do not expect to find final sufficiency in any human relationship, including marriage. The final sufficiency is to be found only in a relationship with God. If a man tries to find everything in a man-woman or a friend-friend relationship, he destroys the very thing he wants and destroys the one he loves. He sucks them dry. He eats them up, and they, as well as a relationship, are destroyed. But as Christians, we do not have to do that. Our sufficiency of relationship is in that which God made it to be, in the infinite personal God on the basis of the work of Christ in communication and love. The reality is if we try to turn to our friends to be what Jesus alone can be, we'll destroy that relationship. So friends, this morning, guard your heart from unrealistic expectations of your friends. Guard your hearts from expecting them to be everything you need them to be, everything you really need Jesus to be in your life. At times, we may wish they would pursue us more. We might wish that they would give us more time, give us more energy. But just remember something this morning. There's only one who is able to be the perfect friend, and it's Jesus. He alone is the one who pursues constantly and perfectly. Guard your heart from thinking that you are able to be the perfect friend. I mean, think about this. How many of us try to be that perfect friend who's doing everything for everybody? And what happens in the end? We get burnt out. The relationship's broken. You cannot be everything for everyone, but what you can do is remember that ultimately your friend needs the greatest friend who is Jesus. So then let your heart rest in the perfect friend who has pursued you. And in that place of unconditional love, you are then enabled to be the kind of friend that God has called you to be. One who's finding the ultimate sufficiency in Christ and who also knows your friends need to find their ultimate sufficiency in Christ, not you. Jesus has pursued us. This should radically then change how we think about our friendships with others So what kind of friend is Jesus? He's a friend of sinners, a friend that pursues us, and then now he's a friend who shows us compassion. We're just gonna keep hopping through as time is running short. In John chapter 11, we come to the story of Lazarus, which is just powerful. It's a powerful picture of Jesus' love for a friend. Compassion is just overflowing as he connects there to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I'm gonna start in verse 32, John 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And later we find out in this story that Jesus does raise him from the dead, but it's comforting to us because we know Jesus, he cares for his friends when they go through suffering. He has compassion, he weeps for them. Jesus knew that what was happening here was not intended from the beginning, that death would invade the world through sin. This was not the goal and desire from the beginning, but yet here he is weeping in light of the suffering that his friends were going through. 
You might be going through immeasurable suffering right now in your life, significant trials, and the reality is that your friends will not fully understand what you're feeling and going through. Your friends might have the greatest ambitions and desires to know and to feel the hurt you're going through. We've talked about how that's important, but there's only one person who can know it fully, and it's Jesus. Jesus alone is the one who understands fully what you're going through and is able to show compassion. He weeps. Drew Hunter says this, if you are his disciple, he doesn't just know what you feel, he knows how it feels, and he feels it with you even now. There's great encouragement this morning knowing that Jesus shows compassion. When you feel alone in your suffering, remember that not a single instance of that suffering will go by without Jesus being aware. He doesn't miss it. It's not like a friend who's absent for a while and doesn't know you're going through hardship. No, Jesus sees it all. He knows the suffering you're facing. Rest in that this morning. Rest in the fact that whatever is going through your heart and mind, Jesus is aware and he is there showing you compassion. And then when we see Jesus' compassion for us, it then informs us, doesn't it? On how we relate to our friends who are going through suffering. We weep with them. We weep with them. Here's the last. He is a friend who never fails us. Jesus' friendship toward us is built on his character. This is why this topic has so much to offer us. You could spend weeks digging this out. His character is significant. But here's this last point. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is a friend who will never forsake you. Think about how comforting that is this morning. You have friends, even with the best of intentions, who will fail because they're sinners, because they struggle, and they have challenges, but Jesus will never, never forsake you. He is a friend of sinners who will never discover something in us that will cause them to turn away from you. He will never forsake you because of your sin. That gives us comfort then to come to him with our sin. To know there's one who loves us who will never leave us. He's a friend who pursues us to the furthest extent of his love. He will never fail to be there for you and will be all that you need. The full sufficiency comes from Christ. He's a friend who has compassion for us. He will never stop showing compassion toward you. No matter how messy or difficult your life is, he'll be right there with you showing compassion. He's a friend who never fails. Listen, there is no greater friend for you and there's no other friend that all of your friends wish you had other than Jesus. His friendship with us helps us in our own neediness and then it radically changes the way that we interact with the friends God has given to us. Jesus is our greatest friend. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful this morning for this reminder. Lord, it's such, such a wonderful truth, Lord, to think about you being our greatest friend and you have pursued us, you've loved us, Lord, even though we are sinners. You show us compassion. You never fail us, Lord. We're so grateful for that. Would you help us as we seek to be good friends to those around us, but to rest, Father, in the security that you are the greatest friend if we have turned to you in faith and trust. Lord, would you help us, Father, to rest in that this week and then through that, Lord, find the sufficiency we need for what's in our life, but then to be the kind of friends we're called to be to those around us. Lord, help us with this this week. Help us to reflect Christ in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.